0: You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church, Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. People who understand us. We all want people who not only know about us, but love us even though they know what's wrong with us. We want people who understand the places of our lives that hurt, especially the places of our lives that hurt. When we're going through a hard time, what a salve it is when you can go to somebody and they can say to you, I understand how you're feeling. And you actually know that they understand how you're feeling. It's, it's really a bummer when you go up to somebody and you tell them your problems and they say, I know how you're feeling, but you don't feel that at all. You feel as though they're just far away. They give you some platitudes like, oh, I'll pray for you or don't worry about it. God will take care of it. And you're wondering, "Will they really understand me. Is there anybody who understands me? And people mean well. Pastors mean well. I mean well. I've, I've heard a lot of different sermons on suffering. Um, but one sermon I heard, which always struck me, um, and it, didn't, it wasn't a good strike, in that way, was I was listening to a sermon by a man who was trying to convey to his congregation that he understood their pain. And he says, I can understand what it's like when you lose a loved one, when you lose a mom or a dad, because we've had a death in our family this past week. Our pet died. And, and this man was sincere. He really meant, like he was truly trying to convey to the congregation that he understood. But in reality, we're all sitting there going, "Uh, I don't think so. You know, I mean, pets are great, and, and not to discount the love that you can have for your pet, but they don't equate to mom or dad or to somebody that you love. So that when we go through something that is painful, we want somebody who understands us, but who can understand us? The person who can understand this is someone who's gone through the very thing that we are going through. So the person who can understand what it's like to lose a loved one is somebody who's lost a loved one. Somebody who can understand what it's like going through a divorce is someone who's gone through a divorce. I mean, could you imagine if somebody who is going through divorce had a college student come up to them and go, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened in your marriage. I understand how you feel because I recently broke up with my boyfriend. And you go, no, you know, thanks for trying but that just doesn't cut it. We don't understand what it's like to go through cancer unless you've gone through cancer. We don't understand what it's like to go through losing a job unless you've lost a job, or what it's like to be unemployed for a long time, if you haven't been unemployed for a long time. And the list goes on, is that there is a reality that for somebody to truly understand how you feel, they have to go through even a greater pain than you've gone through. And so this is a principle that we see in the scriptures that we're going to see about Jesus and about our lives with Jesus is that Jesus has gone through the greatest pain of all. And therefore, he can understand all of our pains. That greater pain understands lesser pain. Greater pain understands what the person who has gone through a similar thing is feeling. And that God wants us to know that Jesus has gone through absolutely the greatest suffering of all. Would you read with me these verses in Hebrews chapter 2 that explain to us how God wants us to know he truly understands? Let's read it out loud together. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. Jesus really does know how you feel. Whatever you're going through right now that might be difficult or someone that you know is going through something that's difficult, Jesus knows, truly knows how they feel. Jesus has gone through the greatest of all sufferings. He has gone through the greatest of all pains. He has paid the greatest price so that you and I will be able to receive the benefits of what he's gone through. But he didn't do it without great suffering. As it says at the very end there, he's gone through suffering and testing so that he is able to help us when we are being tested. Jesus came to earth to defeat the devil. Jesus came to earth to give us his victory. But to do that, he had to enter into this world as you and I did. As we learned last week, when Jesus entered the world through birth, through a human mother. That he entered the world just like you and I entered the world. He came so that he could understand what you and I go through firsthand. And for Jesus to be able to defeat death, he had to die and then overcome death so that we would know indeed God had taken care of death and our sins that caused it. And so Jesus is beginning his ministry. And this week, if you've been reading in the story, chapter 23, you've been reading about the beginning of Jesus's ministry. I want us today to look at just a part of that, the very beginning of his ministry, What was the very first thing Jesus did to inaugurate his ministry publicly? He went out into the desert, and he found John the Baptist, his cousin. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to start there. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 3 today, and Matthew chapter 4. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus began his ministry by being baptized. John was baptizing people because they knew that they were sinners. John was baptizing people so that they would repent from their sins. And so when John sees Jesus, and John knows that Jesus is without sin... John says, wait a minute. See, I baptize people because they know they're sinners. I baptize people and I put them into the water and it's symbolic of their washing away of their sins. And so they come as also a sign that they now want to come out of the water and live a new life. That they don't want to live this dirty life of sin anymore. So that's why I baptize people. But Jesus, you don't have any sin. You don't have any need. You don't need to wash off anything. I can't baptize you, but you can baptize me. But then Jesus says, no, John, we have to do this. We have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does that mean, to fulfill all righteousness? Well, righteousness means to be made right with God. It means so that we can have a relationship with God. And so Jesus comes into this world, and he wants us to be able to have a relationship with him. And to do that, he is going to completely identify with you and me. And so even though Jesus had no sin, he identified with us by going into the baptism waters like any sinner would go and he humbled himself by being willing to be identified as one who might be seen as a sinner, though he wasn't a sinner. He identified with our sins. He humbled himself in that manner so that he would be able then to later give us a salvation that we so desperately need. Baptism is a sign of a person's sincere desire to follow after God. As was mentioned in the announcements, we're going to have a baptism class starting next week. And baptism is for every believer, period. Baptism is for every believer. Throughout the New Testament, what we see is baptism happens immediately after salvation. So as soon as somebody repents and turns their life over to the Lord, they are baptized in the New Testament. There's no waiting. It's done immediately after they're saved. And in our world today, a lot of times, well, we wait because we have a misunderstanding of baptism. We think that we have to be ready for baptism. But if we are already ready to receive Jesus, then we're ready for baptism at that same moment. And so the moment that we came unto Jesus... We were ready to be baptized. There's no need. In fact, Jesus saw it as part and parcel of being saved and of being a disciple. In the Great Commission, in Matthew, chapter, um, chapter 28, verse 19. Can you read this verse with me? Let's say it together. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus was telling his disciples was to go and make more disciples. Or to put it another way, what Jesus was telling Christians was to go and make other Christians. How do we do that? By telling them the good news about Jesus so that they can have a relationship with Jesus to all the nations. And then to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is part and parcel of being a disciple of Jesus. Being a Christian is being a disciple of Jesus. And our goal as Christians is to grow in our likeness to Jesus. And so the greatest argument for a Christian to be baptized as soon as they are saved is Jesus' baptism. Because Jesus began his ministry identifying with our sin by being baptized just as we identify with his victory over sin through our baptism because when Jesus was baptized he was put into the water and he was brought back out in Romans the Bible tells us that baptism is a picture of that very thing that when we go into the water it's like Jesus going into the grave When Jesus went into the grave after his crucifixion, Jesus rose again in three days. Baptism is a picture of that. Baptism is the picture of us being put into the water and coming back out to life. And so Jesus identifying with us is the greatest argument for us to identify with Jesus in baptism. And this is what we're going to learn in the baptism class. We're going to learn more about that. And so we're going to be doing it with the adults um, starting next Sunday for the next two Sundays. The youth can come if, they can, if they're available at that time. But we're going to be doing it especially for the youth in two Fridays. And so I'll be coming to the youth group in two Fridays and having a class to talk about baptism there. But it's for every believer. And if you are a believer, if you have become a Christian, but you haven't yet been baptized, then please come to this class. And learn more about baptism. Learn more about the benefits of it. Learn more about its power. But most of all, let us come and learn about what it means to Jesus for us to be baptized. Because it meant so much for him to be baptized for you and for me. And then when Jesus was baptized, there was a grand coronation at that moment. There was an amazing coronation that happened in Jesus' life at the moment. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. So we read um, 13 through 14. So it's a couple verses ahead. In verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Who was present at Jesus' baptism? Who was present there? Who do you see present at Jesus' baptism? Just say it out loud. John the Baptist. Who else? The Father. And who else? The Spirit. And so there is the Holy Trinity is right there at Jesus' baptism. God the Father says, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. When we identify in baptism with Jesus, we're identifying with the promise that just as God loved his son, so does God love you and me. And so in the same way that God is pleased with Jesus, when we are with Jesus, God is pleased with us. And God loves us. And it is an unconditional love, but it's an unconditional love that is meant to move us forward so that we live the right way, not so that we can do whatever we want. And so Jesus also had to learn that even though he was the perfect son of God, and even though he was totally loved by God, he still had to go through everything man and woman would go through. He still had to experience what you and I experience, even though he's the perfectly loved son of God. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says there, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. When you're coming up to a final exam, when do you study? Like the night before, yeah, you probably do, right? But if you're going to do well, you're going to study many nights before. In fact, if you know a good teacher is going to help you to prepare to study for your final, beginning as soon as class starts. Jesus took forty days and forty nights to prepare for this exam. Jesus took forty days and forty nights to be prepared for doing the test that Satan was going to give to him. Now, the Bible tells us that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he would be tempted by the devil. What what does that mean? What does that mean? Why would God lead his son into the desert to be tempted by the devil? Now, the Bible makes it really clear that God tempts no one god tempts no one satan tempts but god leads jesus into the desert so that he can face satan at the very beginning of his ministry to declare and to begin that process of ultimate victory the only way jesus could encounter satan is to face satan The way for Jesus to defeat Satan was to come face to face with him. And so God leads Jesus into the desert through the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can show forth his power. But at the same time, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He had been without food and been without water in a miraculous fast. But he had faced all the realities of hunger and thirst that you and I would face if we were to fast. That God wants us to know Jesus was at a place of ultimate submission to God. And yet, even though he was, he still had to face testing. That means that for you and me, we too will realize testings in our life. God will not tempt us. Satan will. But God will lead us to places where Satan will be there to test us. God will lead us to places where Satan will be there to try to make us fall. But when we look at Jesus and when we look at his life, what we see is that he has victory over the evil one because he does victory directly to defeat the evil one. Read with me, please, 1 John 3, 7 and 8. Let's say it together. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Why did the Son of God appear? To destroy the works of the devil. And so Jesus is facing Satan. He is facing the devil, and the word devil is diabolos. And what it means is slanderer, an accuser. Satan is real, he's not a myth. Jesus speaks of Satan and he says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so everything that Satan speaks is a lie with the purpose of deceiving others and deceiving you And me. And so Jesus now, after his baptism, after he's gone into the desert, he now is being tempted by Satan. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And there it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan is tempting Jesus after 40 days without food to turn a stone into bread. He is trying to get Jesus to satisfy his needs on his terms. God alone can satisfy our needs. And that is the lesson that we learn from Jesus' first temptation. That God alone can satisfy our needs. And remember, Satan is a liar. And so behind all of his temptations is a lie. And the lie of this temptation is the same lie that Satan throws at you and me. And that is that you and I can find satisfaction without God. That you and I can find satisfaction without God. Where do you seek to find satisfaction in life? I think we can try to find it in any way. You can name anything. But if it is not Jesus, if it is not God, it will not be ultimately satisfying. No matter how valid it is, of course, it's very valid to eat. And this is an illustration to you and to me, not just about food, but about all areas of our lives where we hunger and thirst for something that only God can satisfy. Jesus experienced this in Hebrews chapter 4:15. It says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, but was without sin." Jesus faced this temptation. Jesus faced every temptation. And whatever temptation you or I are going through, Jesus fully understands it. Beginning with the most natural temptations that could come throughout our bodies and our human desires. That we might want to find satisfaction through things like accumulating money, Or we might find satisfaction through relationships or thinking that if we're just loved enough, then we'll be fulfilled. We might find thinking that we find satisfaction if we just find the right job or we can get into the right school or I have the right friends. But none of these things, though their little things are not wrong, those things won't ultimately satisfy. The ultimate satisfaction of life can only come through this relationship with God and obedience to His Word and knowing Jesus. And Jesus is able to say no to the sins and temptations that Satan wants him to give into by quoting scripture. And the scripture that helps us is this one from Deuteronomy. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Any temptation you or I have has its answer to say no in the word of God. And the more we know the Bible, the more we have the ammunition to fight against the evil one. The more we know the Bible, the more we will will want to do what God wants us to do, and the less we will want to sin. But when we are so tempted to sin, God will give us his word to help us to find a way out. Jesus understands how we feel, even though we have great needs to be satisfied. Even though those needs are things that God wants to fulfill, he fulfills them ultimately in his son Jesus. So that's the first temptation that Jesus experienced. The second one we find in Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 5 through verse 7. And I'll read and you can follow along. There it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God gives us ultimate security. And that is the point here of this temptation that Jesus is facing. Satan is trying to have Jesus find security by testing God. Prove it. Jesus, if you say you're the Son of God, then prove it. Just jump off. Just just jump off this high point of the temple. So Satan was able somehow to take Jesus to the highest point of the temple. And most likely, people were standing around. And they would have been able to look up and see Jesus standing up there. And imagine if he had jumped down and he wasn't hurt and he was caught by angels and he safely landed to the ground. And Satan is trying to tempt Jesus and say, just do this miracle. Do this miracle and the people will know that you're special. The people will know that you're the son of God and then they will want to follow you. But Jesus says, no, we don't do that. We don't tempt God. We don't try to tempt God by doing things crazy, stupid, foolish, and then expect God to take care of us. We need to find our security in knowing that God will take care of us, but we don't tempt him. What Satan was trying to do to you and to me as he was to Jesus was saying that you can do whatever you want and then God will take care of you. Or for you and me, we might say this, you can live like hell and still get heaven. And then God says, you can just sort of do whatever you want, and you'll still get heaven. You can do all this. Even though we live in such an evil world, then God will take you out of it. He'll protect you. We live in a dangerous world. We live in a dangerous world. There's all kinds of possibilities of being hurt. And the temptation is to try to find our security in this world. Now, again, none of these things are wrong, but they're not ultimate. And so you can see them here. All these things are things that show us in our world how we are so obsessed with safety and security. There's the video doorbell now, the ring where you know it actually has a picture, and you can look on your phone. You can see if it's a good guy or a bad guy on the other side before you open the door. And there's video cameras everywhere in the world that people are always watching you to see what you're doing. Um, Then of course we have our car alarms, and then we have internet security, and then our countries have bombs. And all these things are meant because we live in such a dangerous world where we are obsessed with the need to be safe and obsessed with the desire to have security. And what God wants us to know is that He is our ultimate security. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't try to find our security in this world. Find our security and what God has done for us in Jesus, that he says he will protect us. He says he will watch over us. And Jesus says in the word of God, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test God by the way you live. Trust God and live the way he tells us to live. Don't seek to do things our own way. Seek to do things his way. God wants us to live a life that is pleasing to him. We live in a dangerous world. But he is there to protect us every step of the way. Even though at times bad things will happen to us, he is still there with us. He is there ultimately and will see us to the end of the life that he wants us to live. So don't give in to temptations just because you think or I think in some way this will make my life more secure. We find our security in God, and God alone. And then the third temptation that Jesus faced, we find in verse 8 through 10. And it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. God is teaching us through Jesus' life that only He is worthy of our worship. Only He is worthy of our worship. Satan somehow also was able to take Jesus to a high mountain and show Him all the grandeur of the world and all the nations about it and say, I will give this to you. Now, was Satan able to give that to Jesus? There's different possible answers to that, but I don't think he was. I think that Satan was living out the fact that he's a liar. And he was lying to Jesus. And Jesus knew that, and therefore, Jesus responded, Away from me, Satan. Away, because you only worship the Lord, you only serve him. Jesus just simply used one word, and it means, Be gone. Be gone. Go away, Satan, away from me. Because we only worship our Heavenly Father. This word worship is very interesting. Where It actually means a dog licking a master's hand. And it's a dog showing love to his master. It means to kiss towards and to crouch down. And so what we are doing is in love, we are bowing down to God. We are worshiping Him we are seeking to live in such a way that we show that god is our strength and god is what we're living for and god is the one that we worship the temptation to us and the lie from the evil one is that this world is all there is this world is all there is but god wants us to live in such a manner in such a way that we worship him knowing you know what the best part of this world is having my faith in Jesus. The best part of this world is living a life that pleases Him. And the way that we can worship God is also the way that we can say no to temptation. And just as Jesus says, away from me, Satan. Now you and I are not taught by Scripture to rebuke Satan ourselves. We're not taught to rebuke Satan because Jesus already did it. We are taught to declare our faith in Jesus, the one who has rebuked Satan. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 3, the Bible says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. So only the Lord rebukes Satan. But Jesus did that and overcame all the temptations. And so that's why Paul could say in Romans, um, Romans chapter Uh, 8 verse 38 for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord that Satan is already defeated and we have the power in Satan in Christ to defeat the evil one that we have the power in what Christ has already done for us to know that there is victory. But do we talk back to the devil? Can we speak to the devil? Yes, we can. In his book, I Talk Back to the Devil, A.W. Tozer says this, we can stand up to the devil and shout, I am a child of God. I will not take this any longer. And I remind you that that the forgiveness and the cleansing I have freely received comes from Jesus Christ. That we have a cleansing. We have a forgiveness. We have a grace that has been given to us through Jesus. And it is through this grace that you and I are able to say no to sin and say no to temptation. It is through this grace in Jesus Christ that we're able to worship Him and know that there is nothing greater in this world than God Himself. That this world is not all there is. There is another kingdom that belongs to God, that Jesus Christ gives to us. And then we can worship God through surrender. We worship God by surrendering our life to serve him. Worship is the giving of our lives over to Jesus. Worship is the giving of our lives over to follow him. Jesus served God Remember, this is the beginning of his ministry. And after Jesus had finished defeating Satan in these temptations, he went off into his ministry. And this is what we hear how Jesus served God in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Jesus went through the world healing people. Jesus went through all of Galilee, all of the Holy Land, showing forth the love of God. And that's how he healed people. That's how he served God. And you and I can serve God in a similar manner by bringing people to Jesus. There's another story. It's in Mark chapter 2. And it's a story that, again, early on in Jesus' ministry, as Jesus was going through all of Syria, going through all the Holy Land and healing people, the word about his healing powers got out. And there was uh, a man who had been paralyzed, and he had four loving friends. And these four loving friends put this man on a mat and they carried him to jesus and jesus was at a home and this home in capernaum was just filled with people and there were so many people around this little house that the men couldn't get their friend into to see jesus but they so believed in the power of jesus and so they went up on the flat roof of that house they climbed up with a man and they put kept him on their gurney and they carried him up and then they dug a hole through the ceiling of the roof And so then they dug a hole there and then they let the man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus healed him. And how can you and I serve Jesus? By being like one of those four men. By being someone who brings other people to Jesus so that he can heal them. So that he can bring their life to them. So that they too can worship Jesus. So who are the people that you could think of In your life? Who can you bring to Jesus? Who can you encourage and befriend? Who can you love who is hurting, broken, or discouraged? Again, who can you bring to Jesus? Who can you encourage and befriend? Who can you love who is hurting? broken, or discouraged. This is how you and I serve Jesus. By bringing those that we care about into his presence, into his hope, into his salvation. And maybe it's us. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one hurting. And you're here today and God's saying, come to me. Come to me in Jesus. Know that I care and that I have the power, and that I have the love. And come to him in faith. Come to him and surrender your life to him. Say, Lord, I want to know to worship you. I want to know the faith that has a trust in you. I want to have your security. I want to have my needs met in you. God loves us. And Jesus' ministry is an expression of that love. But it came at a great cost. It came at the cost of his own suffering. It came at the cost of his own sacrifice. It came at the cross of his own death. But God cares. And then Jesus reigns victorious. And he gives us the hope that we so desperately need. He gives us the healings that we so much long for. He helps us in the process of our hurts. And he walks with us in our brokenness. We can turn to Jesus. We can bring other people to him. And he is with us. Let's pray.